I'm really, really excited, guys. We're going to start a, a new topic, uh, how to have victory series. And we're probably going to go through about 20 of these because what I really want to help and focus on is some of the practical different things going through. Some of it we're, we're going to deal what some of the things we're going to talk about with marriage, family, children, things that that we go through on, on, on a, you know, as far as on an, on an every time basis. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's very important because as much as, you know, we could have a lot of different areas of our life that we understand, we can understand our Bible and go, man, I understand this. I understand that. But if I don't know how to bring it into my life, see, then that's really where I need to know. <laughs> and there's a lot of Christianity that is thrown out there and it's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But if we don't know how to, and we don't know how to apply it and how, how that works in our lives, then, then that, that becomes something, you know, it's just not fruitful for us and it needs to be fruitful. These things need to be something in our lives that we're able to, to, to do. Now, with that being said, I'm going to prepare everyone. Um, I hope you love me when we're done. Because this is going to be very challenging for you. And I'll be honest with you for myself. Because I'm going to say some things that are probably, I, I'm, not say, I'm not going to say it because I want to be strong. Thank you. You know, in the sense of whatever. But if the scriptures are true, then they're true. And, and we have to work through these things. And we have to be honest. Before, before we pray, I just I want to remind everyone, guys, when you're reading your Bible, there's two elements at play all the time. It is the Holy Spirit inspiring the author, and it is the author that is a human being writing. Those two elements are at play all the time, every time, every single word that you're writing. So it makes it a humanly divine book. And the writers are writing through their own experiences, through their own lens. They are the filter, and the Holy Spirit is using them as through their filter. And the reason why I say that is because we hear a message. Paul says, or well, I think it's Paul, but in the writer of Hebrews, it says, they all heard the same message that was preached, but they didn't mix it with faith, so it was unprofitable to them. So everyone in that room heard the same thing, but not everybody was able to apply faith with that message. So because of that, it was not profitable. So you might be at a different place in time in your life right now than you were 60 days ago, 90 days ago, six months ago, a year from now. And maybe you heard that message at that time. Maybe you heard that scripture and it was connected for you in that moment but you weren't able to mix faith with it. So you got frustrated and maybe now you're in a different place. Now it's time to apply faith to what you understand. And let me, I'm just making some clarifications here as we start going through some of these topics. Here's the other side to it. How, how would I put this? Um, faith or Life, I guess. Guys, there, there's, 
There's a faith. Spiritual should look normal and practical. Because you are a soul that has a spirit that lives in a body. Spiritual should be natural to you if you're recreated in heaven. Spiritual should be natural to you. I don't know what you heard. Did you say that we are a soul that you are, has a spirit? Yo, no, I said you are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. <laughs> That's what I said. I don't know what you heard. I don't, I don't know. But, but it's really important because spiritual should be natural to you. Why? Because it is a part of you now. It is a part of your DNA. Peter says it this way. It says that you have been given a divine nature. So it should be natural to you. And you can go, but it doesn't feel natural. Okay, that's the practical side. That's what I'm saying. There's two things always at play. There is the reality of what is, and then there's the practical of what you experience. We don't have to change what is, because if God said it is, it is. What we need to work on is our experience to match what he says. So this is the side in the how to have victory side that we're going to work on. And in that, that it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. Because no, none of us like to look in the mirror and go, man, you need to go to the gym today. And even if you do like going to the gym, it might be a pleasant experience through pain. But guys, pain is not your enemy. Okay? I know in the, I know in the Word of Faith movement, and, and, and we don't want to, uh, listen to me. Pain is not your enemy. Okay? It is growth. We are to grow into him. You are complete in him the moment you are born again. There ain't nothing you're lacking from him. But have you grown into him in those things that he has given you or granted you? Not yet. So we got to grow into that. So, okay, let's dive in. Father, we thank you for this time and this place. We thank you for, Lord God, these subjects that we're going to cover. Lord God, unbelief, doubt, fear, anxiety, oppression, uh, suicide, marriage, children, divorce. Lord God, all of these things that we're going to cover over these next several months. And Father, as we dive down this path, the Holy Spirit will teach us and guide us, and we will mature into Christ as we embrace it and take responsibility for the realities that's surrounding us. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Introduction. I'm going to give you my notes so you can see it because we're going to cover a lot of stuff. And I'm going to have, you know, I'll, I'll have it if you want it. I can email it to you. Let me know. But here, I have it here. Okay. I want to deal with how to have victory over unbelief. Okay. Unbelief is unreasonable. 
I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Unbelief is unreasonable. It makes unreasonable demands of God and the Bible. The word unbelief is found in the Old Testament, is not found in, at all in the Old Testament. That word unbelief is not there. It is a New Testament introduction. Now, the examples are there. We will see it throughout the Old Testament. But the word is not there in the Hebrew at all. You can look it up. It is found 16 times in the New Testament. 12 times it is translated from the Greek word apistia. Apistia. I guess. Strong's number 570. The direct translation would be disbelief. There's two ways that the Bible translated. The act of disbelieving means a mental rejection of something as untrue. You are rejecting it. You are saying, no, I don't agree. I don't believe that. I won't adhere to that. I won't obey. One of the definitions in the Greek directly is disobedience. Disbelief, unbelief in these scriptures that I have outlined right here as examples is showing disbelief 12 times. Matthew 13, 58. Matthew 17, 20. Mark 6, 6. Mark 6 or 9, 24. Mark 16, 14, Romans 3, 3, Romans 4, 20, Romans 11, 20, Romans 11, 23, 1 Timothy 1, 13, Hebrews 3, 12, and Hebrews 3, 19. Anybody want to, somebody want to read Matthew 13, 58 real quick. Grab your Bible, read it loud and proud if you can. So he did not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. Why didn't he do many mighty works? Their disbelief. I reject it. Why? Because Jesus' math teacher couldn't accept the fact that I was your math teacher. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, no. I knew you as a kid. I don't buy that. One of the greatest um, testimonies that scholars that are pushing up against Christianity can't get around. Here's a very simple argument. Jesus had siblings, did he not? He had a couple brothers. One by the name of James, one by the name of Judas. And in the scriptures itself, it says that they said he's besides himself. He's a lunatic. He's lost it. There's times in the scriptures that it is outlined in Matthew that they are not just, they didn't just not believe. They even tried to steer him away towards harm or steer him towards harm. They were adamant. I don't believe you. And literally told him, you're crazy. Well, why is that a great argument? For the reality of Jesus, because it is very shortly after in the book of Acts that that same James we find as a leader in the New Testament church. What was, 
What was the shot out of the cannon that, that changed James' mind from all those years, 33 years of disagreement, that caused James to quickly change his mind? Had to be the resurrection. Something shot out the cannon so hard, so strong, so open that he said, I was wrong. It's the only thing we can, we can find. It's the only, even scholars that push up against the resurrection can't deny that when they go through and go, wait, this dude really didn't do it. And then he's leading the case for the resurrection of Jesus? Because one of the most important arguments in, that, in the resurrection argument is there was no evolution of message to make Jesus Lord. In other words, it didn't take, we didn't see the writings and 150 years later, all of a sudden now they're saying, oh, Jesus is God. It wasn't 250 years later that they said, found writings that said, well, see here he was a prophet, here he was a teacher, he was, he was a good man. No, 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 no. Instantaneous, where Peter preaches and introduces the message to the masses that says that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Immediately, the message is stamped, deity of Jesus. It is one of the, it is one of the most strongest arguments for the resurrection of Christ in the message of Christianity, that there was no evolution to that process. It was immediate. And so was his brother. So mental rejection. Okay, so we read that one. Go down, somebody can go down to Gospel of Mark uh, 924. Somebody read Mark 924. Loud and proud. Immediately the father of the boy cried out with a desperate piercing cry, saying, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. <laughs> I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Is that a contradiction? No. Explain. In his heart, he had faith to know that Jesus could do it and that he would, would do it. But he's limited by his accepting that, that Jesus Christ is going to do it by, by, by his own, own mind that he gets in the way, by his own thoughts that get in the way. He gets in the way of himself, basically. So then does he believe? I'm sorry? So then does he believe? He has faith because he came to Jesus. Yeah. Okay. He has faith. Or is that hope? Okay. 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 You see what I'm saying? Because what what he's saying is I I I am I am in disbelief. Help me. See, and here here's here's the reality, and this is where a lot of people find ourselves, and this is because we're going to go through what I'm talking to, generally speaking. Is to believers here. So if you're on, if you're watching online, whatever, this time I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with predominantly is believers. 
Because non-believers are in unbelief until they believe. That makes sense. <laughs> They're in unbelief. But to the Christians, we are in this paradox. And what typically what they're saying, like what the way you described it, what I understood is I understand by information the possibility. I understand that, that it is possible. But I don't know, Lord, if I can trust you to believe you'll do it. Also, I believe that he did have faith because he had it formed in his mind of what Jesus would do. But his mind was clouded with unbelief. Okay, is faith in the mind? So you got, we got to think about this. This is why I want to bring this out. Faith is not in the mind. That might be, he, he, might, he might have some knowledge of understanding to a degree, but faith isn't until you do. There's, there has to be action attached to it. But what I think, which is my opinion, intellectually, yep. he knew God can do it, but in his heart, he was struggling. Yeah, he was struggling. Yeah, he was struggling. Faith is in the heart. Well, it's 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 the attachment. Faith isn't isn't in the information of the knowledge in your brain. I read last night that Jesus dwells in the heart. I always thought he dwelled in the spirit, but it says in scripture he dwells in the heart. Okay. But the context of that isn't a, a geographical location of in the middle of the chest. I it, is, it is in the whole person. Yeah. And so for that, that is, that is the first step of faith is to believe. Okay. We believe. So we place our faith in the resurrected Christ. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, as far as a lot of people believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the resurrected Christ. And so because they don't believe in the resurrected Christ, they struggle in having victory because they're believing in Jesus, but they don't know what, what, the, what the victory was of the resurrection and they don't understand it. So because they don't believe in the resurrected Christ, how do they see victory of themselves? They still see themselves as, as this petty person. They still see themselves in a dire grave because they haven't seen the victory through Christ yet. So they haven't attached themselves in that way. So a lot of the times, and, and, and Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 13. When he's talking about the seed and the sower, what does he say? He said, the seed is the word. Right? But if it hasn't been planted and grounded, the fowls of the air, which is the devil, will come and steal what you haven't understood. So that's stage one. First, it's understanding. Second, it's application. Because you only do what you believe. So what this man was saying is like what you were, what, what, the way I'm, I'm, I'm understanding, we're, I, I think we're saying the same thing, Tim. It's just different ways here. What, what, yeah. The enemy? Well, we're going to talk about that. And, and we're going to go through a list of different things that he does, you know, in that. But, but part of that, and Jesus gives the analogy through the other scenarios. What does he talk about? Life. Choking it out of you until you just give. Concerns, worries, life. Um, and there's a, there's a list of different things. And we're going to go over these over this next several months. Guys, we're going to spend a, 
a long period of time on this. Different subjects here. And, and it's going to all tie in. And then you're going to see a theme here. But disbelieving is the meant. First, let's deal with this. The mental rejection. Somebody read uh, Romans 4.20. Romans 4.20. That way we're at the promise of God through unbelief, but we're strong in faith in glory to God. Okay. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.13. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Okay. I'm going to read you now Hebrews 3.19. So we see, talking about the wandering in the wilderness in Israel. Remember I told you, the word unbelief is not in the Old Testament, but we have many examples of it in the Old Testament of what unbelief looked like. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief, disbelief. Did they know that there was a God? Did God not demonstrate his realities to them in front of them? Did they not see those things happen and say that did happen? But then they would constantly reject the reality. Of it happening again. But it also says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelief. Yeah. We're going to get into this. So then the other way it's translated, because remember it's 16 times in the New Testament. In the King James Version, it's translated 16 times. This one is translated four times. Four times it is translated from the Greek word apithia. Apathia. Huh. Apathia. Any word similar sounds like that name? Apathy. Strong's word 543. Unpersuadable. You ever met anyone that is unpersuadable? And you show them and 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 show them. Unpersuadable. Unshakable or insistent, especially in maintaining a position or an opinion. We are living in a time, in a culture that is right now, by the demonic and by the spirit of this world, many at right now are unpersuadable. Why? Because they have rejected persuasion. Unyielding. This act and mindset in your life that resists God and the Bible is always and will be a demonic influence in your life or worse, a spiritual oppression backed up by you allowing these unreasonable thoughts to become a stronghold in your life. Who am I speaking to? To the unregenerate? No, I'm speaking to Christians in the church. That if we get this place 
of this first fundamental principle in Mark eleven twenty two, where Jesus said to them, he never said, man, gosh, this is so, this is, he never said had faith in healing. Never, he said, he never said that. He never said had faith in deliverance. He never said have faith in the blessings of the finances that God gives you. He never said had faith in your family. He never said had faith in your spouse. He never said had faith in your children. He never said had faith in your education. He never said had faith in your health. He never said had faith in what you do. He said have faith in God. We don't believe in we don't believe in in, in uh, uh, divine healing, or in, in we don't have faith in healing. We have faith in divine healing by a divine maker, who is creator, who is God. And if we lose track of that, it's kind of like the, you know the fundamental thing. Jesus never taught healing. What did he teach? The kingdom of God. Which, if there's a kingdom that there must be a king. <laughs> and if there is a king, and if there is a kingdom, then there's laws. This is what he taught us. Have faith in God. What is unbelief? Unbelief is a refusal to trust God's word. It is amazing. You know, I'm going to say this, and maybe you, some of you might, might agree, disagree. I don't know. But, Doctors are not evil. They're not evil. There might be some. There's some preachers that are evil. There's some doctors, I'm sure there are. There's some teachers. Are. There's some judges that are. There's some police officers that are. They're, 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 evil can find itself in any way and in any fashion. But in and of itself, my niece, who was a, who was a registered nurse, did not go into it going, I'm going to, I can't wait to learn how to, how to hurt people. It's not what she did. And in many times, doctors have helped many. Many. So I'm not preaching against doctors. I'm not preaching against bankers. I'm not preaching against lawyers. I'm not preaching against any of those things. You know what I am speaking against? Is that when we trust that, Hmm? What's the, the systems are corrupt. Absolutely. Hmm? That happens in ministries too. The systems in which ministries operate from. As businesses, as corporations. Absolutely. So they can have good intentions and have good things that they're, that, that they're producing. But in that, what the out the fruit of the outsource at the end may end up being a little bit different than they when they thought they planted pears, right? They got something else. You, you know who who if I told you, you know, man, I planted a peach tree and there's so many peaches and they're perfectly ripe and they're oh they look amazing and you go over and you're gonna you're gonna go and pull the peaches off of the tree that I told you and you start realizing. Man, why is it all soggy? Oh, I have a leech line from our uh, sewer that runs right through there. 
Would you ask me for a bag after, right? So you can take the peaches? Or would you go, thank you, I think I gotta go. Because it's not the peach itself, it's the source. You're eating part of the source. And so all of the, that is true. But even if, okay, if you took a Tylenol, is anybody, I'm not going to condemn you. Okay, let, let's, let, let's be real here. Um, my, my son, we, my wife went through everything natural in the birth of Ezra. She didn't take any medicine, any medication. We sat there, we prayed in tongues. We just went through all those different things, her whole labor. We didn't do that the other two. We did that with this one. And, and we, we had confidence, we had faith in everything else. And it was, when it was said and done, something changed. In the very last minute, we had to take her to the hospital. And we rushed her over to Kaiser Modesto. She gave birth. She was literally there for three minutes at the most in labor when Ezra was, when Ezra was born. And somebody, if somebody came to me and they said, oh, you didn't have faith. See, th th this is the part that we really, really, really got to work through some of this stuff. Okay. It cost me in cash a large amount to try to have our child at birth at home that I did not get back. <laughs> <laughs> we paid midwives to be there. I didn't get that back. But by faith, this is what we were doing, what we were trying to do. On the practical side, this is happening now, and this is a real situation. Okay. See, you might go, well, Angel, you should have commanded. You know what? I should have invited you to be there. You know, there is a difference between having a hesitation moment of doubt and unbelief is what I'm trying to make a distinction here. Okay, there is a difference. And sometimes we don't make that clear. And we end up bringing condemnation to the body who is going through some struggling in a season in their life of growth and learning how to manage and maneuver through things. And so we bring condemnation to them by our words because we're looking and saying, well, why don't you believe in faith? And I always say this to people that are, that are people that always throw the faith statement to me. Here's my question. Do you go to work? Well, yeah. Well, why wouldn't you just have faith in God and believe? Do you put a seatbelt on? Well, yeah. Well, I don't want to die. Well, I thought you had faith. Why do you eat? Why do you drink water? Those are natural things. Well, well, because you got to eat. Well, okay, so now, now natural. Okay, now you want to be natural? You know, and, and, and let's walk through some of these distinctions because this is where people get confused and people end up in weird places. Well, I'm just believing by faith. Okay, believe by faith and go do. There's a practical side in all of this, all the time, every time, in every area. Because there was no doubt in the Old Testament, people who said they were prophets. Yet we have no record of them in the Old Testament. 
Why? Because they never did anything. But those that said they were prophets put their life on the line and paid the price for the cost in which they believed. Did they always get everything perfect and right? No. You go, oh, well, their prophecies were wrong? No, but sometimes their, prophet, their heart was wrong. How do I know that? Go to Isaiah 6. The beautiful text that we have of Isaiah getting a calling from God and changing what, what, what was happening. Where it says, let's read it. Go to Isaiah 6 here real quick. Which is an incredible text. Actually, one of my favorites. But if you don't understand what was happening, you miss the point of what, you miss part of the point of what is being said here. Isaiah 6, we'll start with verse 1. I'll read it. Gives you some insight here real quick. In the year that King Uzziah died. So what just happened? Uzziah the king died. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Okay, let me give you some backdrop here. Isaiah and Uzziah were very close. Isaiah was disheartened because the king died. He was in depression. Lost track. In a hole. In his feelings. One living by faith. And what does God show him? Another king. And what does it say? He's high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. The train of a king of his garment was indicative of the reign of how large his kingdom was. How long was his train? It filled everything. So what does God do to Isaiah when he's in the moment of depression and anxiety? Does he kick him while he's down or does he show him the truth? You have your eyes on the wrong king, Isaiah. Look at me. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, they covered his feet. With two, they flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. What did he just do? He replaced one king for the other and put his perspective right. The Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched his mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Here was the bad deal in that. Isaiah didn't ask what he was going to. But it inspired him enough to respond and react out of that hole. And Isaiah took on the mission that God gave him. And you know what the mission was? You're going to chase everyone out of the temple. They're not going to believe you. They're going to turn against you. They're going to speak bad about you. You're going to speak my word and they're not going to believe you. 
So he went from depressed. He went from depressed and looking at a human king. That when he seen the king, the cannon shot out, without question, without in any rationale uh, uh, of um, of being. He was persuaded to what to do what most people would never do. Why? Because he seen the reality against what his eyes see. Do you get what I'm saying here? Unbelief is a refusal to trust God's word. Unbelief is a fear of obstacles. Some of us don't want to go through the process of growth because you're afraid of the growth process. So you would rather stand in being unyielding and unshakable in your position. And you're in opposition to what the word of God is calling you to. And we find ourselves in unbelief. We are resisting it. Unbelief results from looking at the problems instead of at God. What did Jesus say? Have faith in God. Doubt versus unbelief. There is a difference between doubt and unbelief. The word doubt is from the French word, French word I don't know how to speak French, but dortier, and means fear. It also originates from the Latin word dubious, which means unsettled. So what is doubt? You're unsettled. You're on shaky ground. You're not sure. You're unstable. You're not secure. The dictionary says that to doubt means to waver in judgment or hesitate in indecision. We're talking about doubt, not unbelief. Okay. Unbelief is the rejection. Doubt is the hesitation. Some of us have hesitated and then moved forward. Some of us are in the moment of, of your, your, your hearing a message, and maybe it's health, maybe it's healing, maybe it's whatever, you know, restoration in this area, that, or whatever, and you're, you're just in hesitation mode. Those of you that have heard my story, I was in hesitation mode from 2013 to 2015. When I first heard the DHT, I was in doubt. Why? Because I wasn't moving forward with it. I was undecided, still working through, testing it out, looking at the scriptures, checking it out, poking holes through it, going back and forth. I didn't move forward in it. I was in doubt. I was unsure. Did I see anybody get healed? No, because I was unsure. So I was unsure. So because I didn't move forward, I wasn't rejecting it. As I was going through it, I was Little by little, it was taking a hold as I was going through the scriptures. You know, Dr. Summerall said something. I, I shared this on Thursday. It, it was comical, and it's true, but it's sad because it's hard to, to hear. He's, he's, he's in, front of, in front of his congregation, and he says, he says, all of you blessed people here, if you died tomorrow, he said, I would do your funeral for free this week because I'm a good guy. I wouldn't charge you a penny. 
And when I was done doing the funerals of every single one, I'd walk back up into this pulpit on Sunday and I would preach Isaiah 53 and say, God is a healer. He said, because what does the circumstances of where we were not victorious, what is that against the truth? The truth. Just because we didn't do it, that doesn't mean his truth doesn't remain. If it's true, it's true. Settle it. Whether you see it or whether you don't, is it true? That's the question. Is it true? So doubt is, is uh, has a waver in judgment or hesitation and indecision. One who doubts suspends judgment. James 1, 2 through 8 says this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Most Christians don't count it at all. Nobody wants to go through a moment or a season of difficulty. And we just want to name it and claim it through it. You know, if that was the case, that Jesus would have been baptized, went to the desert, been victorious, and claimed victory over all the world. Why didn't he do that? But instead, he walked out three and a half years of opposition, rejection, pushback, people coming, people going. And then at the very end, that he was obedient even to the cross, that he gave his life. And even at the very end, the night before, it says, if this cup may pass. But it didn't. Nonetheless, thy will be done. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. I know we don't want that. We all want it. We just don't want to have to cover the cost for it. And you know what? Patience is not a spiritual gift. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit which means it has to be produced in you. Dear Lord, right? Nobody wants to have a rototiller go through their heart and their life. But it's the only way we're going to get it. It's got to be produced. But let patience have its perfect work. Catch the first two words in verse 4. But let. It doesn't say resist patience and having its perfect work in you. The but let is the you and the me. It's the filter factor of the you and the, and the me. Who lets patience have its perfect work? You and me. We allow it. We allow it to take place through us. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. What was, what was doubting again? Unsettled. No, you haven't made up your mind. If you had, you're, you're proclaiming it, but you're not sure if you believe it. See, Jesus didn't say, proclaim it, 
and then maybe it might come. So he said, whatever you're going to speak, speak three times in Mark, Mark 13. He says, speak it three times, believe it once. You got to make up your mind if you believe it. You might have, you might have to say it a few times. But guess what? You got to settle it. And the settling part of patience, man, that's not comfortable. Because you're going to make mistakes in the process. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. It's not that the Lord is not giving it. What is it saying? You can't receive it when you're there. It's kind of, you know, if I'm trying to hand you something and your hand is moving, I can't hand it to you. I could be doing this. And you're, if you're doing this, we're not going to connect. I'm trying to hand it to you, but you're not, you haven't stabilized yourself to grab it and take it. So there's a lot of us that are sitting there and we're just wavering through it and we're frustrated because we can't have it. Stop moving. Stop shifting. Stop going about by every wind of doctrine and teaching. Settle it through the scriptures and be done with it. And believe. And the reason why most people haven't been able to do that is because most people haven't gone through the scriptures to know what to believe. So we're going off of sermons and not on the word. We're going off of what trusted people have told us, but we haven't learned to walk with him, hear him, know him. It's different. And it says, he is a double-minded man. Catch what it says. Unstable in all his ways. Why is that? Because a double-minded man is all over the place. You start digging into, you start looking at your life and you see, if you see double-mindedness in one area, keep looking. You're going to find it in others. Well, I'm just double-minded in my finances. Go look in relationships. You'll find it there too. Go look in your faith. You'll find it there too. Go look in your parenting. You'll find it there too. Go look in, in, in your marriage. You'll find it there too. Why? Because it's the foxes that spoil the vines. If you don't know how to overcome it. See, here's, here's the When you know how to overcome it, then you start seeing it. Have you, ever, have you ever had the word of God illuminate to you or by the spirit show you something and you start seeing it and then all of a sudden it starts popping up in all these other areas of your life and you're like, snaps. I see it now. It's the foxes at the bottom eating it here. It's the little foxes spoiling the vines down here. Yeah. The vines at the bottom. What's well, it? It's an Ecclesiastes. It's an analogy. It's not the big things. It's always the little things. It's the little foxes that just spoil the vines, nibbling on it, eating the fruit, going through, taking it out. And you're sitting there looking at is it the weather? I'm watering it. I'm doing all this stuff and not realizing you haven't protected the base and the foundation of what it is that you believe. And see, a lot of us have come into different, you know, through this and we're going through and we believe God is a healer. We believe God is powerful. We believe all these things. But then we go, but I don't see it. I don't 
have it. Well, let's work through some of this. This means that doubt, see, there's a, and I'm trying to make this distinction because to, there's unbelief and then there's doubt. Doubt can be honest. Nathaniel had doubt, but later believed. Thomas had doubt and then believed. Judas had unbelief. He refused. Why? Because it was un... It was... What is the word I'm looking for? Let me go back. Unreasonable. Think about Judas's life. Was it unreasonable? What did that dude see? <laughs> and he still said, I'm willing to trade him in. I don't believe he's the salvation of Israel. See, Matthew 24, the disciples asked Jesus a question. When will these things be? Same question the disciples asked them in Acts 1. You're going to restore the nation of Israel, right? When will these things be? See, there's a difference between doubt and disbelief. They didn't disbelieve him. They doubted. They were still unsure. They were shaking through it. They were filtering through. Are you going to overcome Rome or are you not? Are you going to take away our oppression or are you not? Jesus said, you don't even understand what I've done. I freed you, but I still see Rome. They were in doubt. Something had to take place supernatural to translate that, to transform that. Because before you were in Christ, you were an unbeliever. You disbelieved. Unbelief is very different than doubt. It, a doubt means skepticism, a negative rejection of faith. It is the disposition to believe. A definition of an unbeliever is an infidel. Unbelief is a negative action, deliberate action, unreasonable action, and proceeds from an evil heart. Charles Finney wrote in his book, Systematic Theology. I have an underline in my book on the shelf if you want to read it. Under lectures 11, attributes of selfishness. Unreasonable is another attitude of selfishness. That it is intended that the selfish choice is in the direct opposition to the demands of the reason. In other words, here's all of the evidence. Everything presented to you. And you still go, no, I don't want that route. Why? I want it my way. It is the dethroning of reason from the seat of government and an enthroning of blind desire in opposition to it. Selfishness is always and necessarily unreasonable. Because when you are in disbelief, the evidence can be there for you. God can show up for you. He can show himself great for you. You're not in doubt of going, Lord, I'm just, I'm learning and I'm growing, but I'm just kind of struggling through this. No, it's, it's that mentality and mindset of, I don't think he'll come through in this. I don't believe him. This is too big. This is too great. This is too whatever. What are you saying? You are putting yourself in the throne of your own mind, and you are dethroning him from you. If possible, it is so unreasonable that you would dethrone human reason and dethrone God in the 
in its place what blinded human desire to throw the universe. In other words, it's this. Have you, do you have anything in your life that you are convinced you can rule better than him? If there's an area of your life that you believe you can rule better than him, repent. Because you are placing yourself in that role. That is not where a Christian ought to be. Total, universal, and shameless unreasonableness is the universal characteristics of every selfish mind. Hebrews 3.12, beware, brethren. Who is he talking to? Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now you're stepping in a demonic realm in this area of your life. And you have demonic influence in this area of your life. And you wonder why you're struggling in this area of your life. And you wonder why the enemy is having free reign in this area of your life. If you own the throne, so does he. If God owns the throne, if it's submitted to him, so can you. That's called self-governing. But you have to do it through him first for you to line up with him by his word, through his word. If not, it's, it's so unreasonable that you will live in an insane place doing the same thing over and over again, over and over again expecting a different result. And never seeing the different result. Why? Because you are clinically insane. There's a scripture. Uh, it's in Ecclesiastes. It says for a man. It says. Uh, maybe you can look it up. I don't remember exactly how it goes. But it says. It's like in Ecclesiastes 1.3 or 3.1. Somewhere around. Somewhere. Some, anyways. But it says. A, how does it say? Gosh, how does it go? Um, well, I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I don't remember. No. I could be quoted. I might have the wrong address. No. I, why when I said three, I was like, I know that's, that's, it begins that chapter. But anyways, I'll find, I, I'll put it in the notes and I'll, I'll have it for you if you want it. But it says a madman is in it basically something like a, a madman, a, a man who is mad in his mind, as far as insane and unbelief. That's the, the the one of the translations. That's not the original text. But what it's saying is you are literally mad in your mind. You're all over the place. You're literally driving yourself insane. Why? Because you're rejecting what he is trying to give you. And trying to do it your own way. Unbelief is one of the cruelest things. This one I took from Dr. Summerall. You can tell, watch, I'm going to read this. And you're going to go, yeah, that's Dr. Summerall. Unbelief will kick the crutches out from underneath the arm of a crippled man. Unbelief will steal bread from a widow. Unbelief will refuse water to a thirsty soul. 
Unbelief is like weeds and briars that grow without cultivation. Unbelief creates the materialist, the free thinker, the, the agnostic, and the atheist. Unbelief screams no without thought or proof. You go, but or somewhere like that, that's kind of crazy. Well, when Jesus was dying on the cross, what did they say? You destroyed the temple and built it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Were they in doubt or were they in unbelief? They were in unbelief. Unbelief denies the deity and lordship of Christ. Unbelief mocks without seeking to determine if they were good or good men or a gift from God. Acts 2 and 13. These men are full of wine. How do you refer to when, when, when God is doing something great? Do you celebrate it? Do you doubt it? Are you a skeptic? What's your reaction with it in two? Do you assume everything's negative? When your spouse comes in or your kids come in, are you already on that, on, on, you know, on your heels going, I don't believe it? And you go, well, yeah, but, but maybe they've done some things. Maybe your kids have lied to you before. You know, I, I hate to break it to you. You know, it's probably not the first time. Any parent here, and it probably won't be the last. But you know what does take effort? is to put your mindset in a positive sense, in a positive place, and steer them back into truth. And not just looking at them from a negative perspective. Well, but, and, and I see couples do this all the time. But you, you know, when you, when we were married two years, we've been married 20, what are we doing here? Why are you remembering that from 18 years ago? Well, but see, I, I don't, you know, I remember, and this, and I, I deserve this. This was early on in our marriage. We were probably married a month. And we were driving down the road, and we were having a conversation. And, and, and I, I wasn't arguing. I was just having a conversation. Now, what she was doing on the other end, I can't, I can't answer to that. <clears throat> but I do remember she said this to me very clearly. She said, I don't trust you yet. And I went, well, actually, I was driving. I went, what? She said, you, she said, my father, I trust. And at the time, she said, our pastor, I trust him too. I haven't been married. You've been married a month. You haven't proved all that stuff yet. And I got upset. And yet it was the truth. You know why? I hadn't earned that place yet. I hadn't earned that yet. Her father had earned that. You know why? He'd been there. Ups and downs. You could sit there and go, you know, well, but this person, you know, my dad wasn't a great dad. My mom wasn't a great, you know, I, and I get all those things. And all those things, all, all, all of this is, is, is all interjected. A couple of things here. For those that have parents, you know, I've always said this. And I've, I, this understanding came true. Does it say love your parents? It says honor them. You think God didn't understand that people were going to have terrible parents? There's some parents that just haven't earned the right to have that type of love from their kids. You know, a good friend of ours, 
his father walked out, never knew him. And he met his father when he was already like in his fifties. And, you know, they, they were, they were there and they met and, you know, he went on and he ended up having conversations with them and met with them, and, you know, over the phone and not later age. And his father ended up passing away. And I asked him, I said, how did you feel when he passed away after all of that? He said, honestly, Angel, I was glad that I got to meet him and have conversations with him, but I felt nothing. I didn't know him. He said, I'm not saying I, you know, it just, I didn't know him. That was at that place in my life. He said, but I, I, I did get to honor him. But to say I loved him, no. So I wasn't there. There's a difference there. It's the same thing with marriages. When it tells the husbands, love your wife. Why? Because women are different species. Different than men. Notice it doesn't tell the wives, love your husbands. It doesn't say that. Why? Because you getting love, you know, my wife getting lovey lovey with me or holding my hand. That's all good. I appreciate all that. But respect and honor, it's different. See, if my wife puts me down in front of people, and that's different. And the same thing for you women. If you get, you know, my wife doesn't, she's not a very, you know, if I start getting, you know, all flirtatious with her in front of people, she's gonna get, she's gonna run. She's not comfortable with that kind of stuff. You know, but what she, I know what she does appreciate. She does like having the open acknowledgement from myself to her. I'll hold her hand. I'll come up. I'll put my hand on her back. Those are things that for my wife, I know that that means something in a crowd of people. Why? Because it's the signals I'm taking. And I'm openly acknowledging. I know I'm taking. I'm gladly taking. And that she just wants to have it. Because this is just human nature and in all of that but to if if you constantly go in the negative and you're always in that mindset watch yourself you are heading down a dark path unbelief shouts at the man praying for the sick well what do you mean how about mark 322 and the scribes who came down from jerusalem said he has beelzebub and by the ruler of demons, he cast out demons. They didn't celebrate the man getting healed. They poked at how he did it and why he did it and where he did it. It's got to be the devil. Why? Because it doesn't look like our denomination. Doesn't look like our group. Listen, I will give, I will always give advice in, in the sense of ministering and, and laying on of hands, casting out devils. I'll give my advice, but you know what? Ultimately, when it's said and done, you're probably not going to do it exactly like I do. And I don't care. It doesn't have to look like angel. You know what it must look like? Jesus. It must look like Jesus. That's, that, that's, that, that's when it's said and done. But here, it's, they're taking it to a whole different level. Maligning him. Unbelief? What will unbelief do to you? Israel wandered for 40 years. Hebrews 3, 9, 11. For your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, 
they shall not enter my rest. Quote here. What is this story talking about? Israel, right? What was the writer of Hebrews referring to in chapter 3? Anyone, any idea? Well, yeah, that was, the, that was the story he pulled, but what was chapter 3 him talking about in the book of Hebrews? Faith or in rest. Having rest by the Spirit is Hebrews 3. You want to know why you don't have rest? Do you have unbelief? If you have unbelief in that area, you can't have rest. Why? Because you're rejecting where he's trying to take you. You got to repent and get it right. 2 Kings 7, 19 through 20. Then that officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord will take windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So what happened to him for the people trampled him in the gate and died. Okay, if you're not familiar with the story. King said, well, if it don't happen the way I want it to happen, and it doesn't happen this way, it ain't going to happen. The prophets said, no, it's going to happen. And when it happens, you're going to see it and be left out from it. And you're not going to be able to partake of what it is that's there. So what happened? Exactly what happened. He was trampled at the gate and died during a famine. Why? Because he rejected it from the word of the prophet and he wanted it his way. Stubbornness and selfishness is going to get you in a lot of trouble. Stop trying to do it your way. Mark 16, finishing up here. Mark 16, 14 through 18. Later, he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief. And what? What does unbelief also produce? Hardness of heart. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. It's unreasonable. How many times did Jesus tell them he was going to resurrect? I mean, I know hindsight 2020, it's easy for us to just point it out and go, well, he's, what are you doing, Peter? He said it right here. He said it right here. He said it right here. You know, it's easy for us to do that. But he did tell them many times. And then when he resurrected and his mother comes back and Mary comes back, you know, and, and all, all these women come back. And what do they say? These women are mad. No. Didn't he say on the third day? That's not enough proof. So their heart was hardened. So he, he berated them. And then he sends them out, right? He's like, you know, you foolish bunch, go out there and preach the gospel. Get out of my sight. You know, it affects cities and towns. Matthew 13, 58. Jesus could not perform great miracles in Nazareth because of unbelief. The sick didn't get healed. Why? Because they were offended. They were in unbelief. Does that mean God, does that mean Jesus couldn't have healed them in the sense that it was possible? No, they rejected him. Revelations 
but the cowardly, unbelieving. Notice how it starts off. Abominable murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers. You would think it would start off with like sexually immoral murders, sorcerers, witchcraft, and, and uh, maybe the guys at the end that are a little cowardly, and, you know, maybe they're unbelieving. It didn't start that way. You know why? Because that other stuff, that's the world. This stuff is the church. Cowardly. Unbelieving. How to destroy unbelief? Faith is an act. We destroy unbelief by acting on God's word. Abominable? How would I define it? Um, I guess in a general sense, um, anything that's put it this way, anything that's abominable in the old Testament is usually, it's typically abominable in the new Testament, regardless of situation. As far as, I don't know, I haven't looked at getting definition off the top of my head. It's, it'll say it. It always does. <laughs> it says abominable and it means abominable. It always says it. Yeah, and, and there's there, there's principles in Scripture that give way of kind of like, guys, stay away from this. Don't do this. Stay this. And then there's times when it's very clear. And when it's clear, it's clear. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. James 2, 20. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? You know, I'll tell you a quick story here. Um, we were, we had went to a, a youth camp over in Yosemite. We got invited to do a youth camp. Well, not to do a youth camp, but to go and help. And this was, how many years ago, babe? About six years ago? Five, six years ago? Six, probably six, seven years ago now. It might be like 2017, 16, 17. Anyways, we got to meet uh, a young man, uh, two young men and a, and a daughter. Their mother was in, they lived in Arizona and she had issues with her eyes and she was afraid. And she lived in Phoenix, right? That's like a terrible place. If you're having issues with sunlight, why in the world would you want to live in Phoenix, right? So this family lived in Phoenix. They were there and she couldn't see. She had dark glasses on, they had special blinds, thick curtains. She couldn't go outside. She had been home ridden for, I don't know, a couple of years. So we administered to some of the we administered to some of the speakers there. They got healed, different things, so that you know we just kind of operated and gave some words of knowledge and different things, operating the gifts when we were there. And so the kids approached us at the end and asked, "Can you pray for my mom?" I said, "Yeah, give, here's my number. Have when you get back home, have your mom call us." And so she did. And so me and my wife were there. She called us when we got back. This woman hasn't been out. I don't know, year three. Oh, it was like a year to three years. She hadn't been outside. She was afraid. And she said her retinas would burn. It would just utter pain. So we did what we did. We commanded it, you know, and it was a very short command. And we said, okay, take the glasses off. I can't. And I said, take the glasses off. So I had it on speakerphone. It's me and my wife were there. She takes the glasses off. 
How's, how is it? Well, they don't hurt. Okay. Open the curtains. I can't. Open the curtains. You'll be just fine. She opens the curtains. Just, what's going on? Nothing. I, there's a little bit of light coming from the edges, but I'm okay. Open the blinds. And now we hit that devil. Because now she's afraid. Totally, completely, you could hear it in her voice. I can't. I said, God is able. Trust him. Open it. And we're there on the phone, on speakerphone. And I, we hear the little noise. Silent for a few seconds. And then we hear her sigh and sob. And we're just like, okay, what's going on, right? And she said, I haven't been able to see outside. How are your eyes? They kind of hurt, but not, I haven't felt this good, but, but I can have it open. Now, middle of the summer, it's noontime. Go outside. This is over the phone, guys. We're in Tracy. She lives in Phoenix. I can't go outside. We hear this woman go outside with her family, sobbing, screaming, crying with her family out there with her as she's outside without glasses, without pain for the first time in a long time. But she had to break through the fear. She had to break through it. Faith without works is dead. Noah acted by faith, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear. Genesis, Sarah, Abraham, you know, Sarah, Abraham and Isaac acted. They started the process of trying to have a kid, right? They were old. They had, they had to enact what well, to them was enactable. Galatians 3 and 16. Abraham and his seed were promised. Moses acted. Exodus 12. Joshua acted. The blind man obeyed, got up and washed his face in the pool of Silo. The man with the withered hand opened his hand. So this is what I'm saying. If you have unbelief in that area, you will have to face it head on and enact faith against it. And understand that is there an element of pain? So what? You have the victory through Christ. There's no other way around this. You will have to plow through it like a linebacker to hit that quarterback. Get it in your mouth. Get that taste of victory in your mouth. You have to get angry against what the enemy has held you hostage for in your own mind. And get so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you might sit there like a linebacker and go, but I went for the quarterback and I got hit by the lineman in front of me. Plow him through too. But there was a double team. Hit him too. But then they had a running back that came to block me. Hit him too. Why? Because your children are on the line. Your marriage is on the line. Your future is on the line. 
God's name in your life is on the line and it's got to mean something to you. The way you get so done with this that I'm done having governing my own life. I'm done allowing the enemy to play these thoughts over and over again in my head. I will crush these thoughts, put it down, obey the word of God. And if I don't figure it out yet, I'm going to obey because he told me to. How do I submit to my husband? Begin. How do I love my wife? Begin. How do I become a good parent? Begin. How do I see healing in my life? Begin. You have to begin somewhere. And then when you begin, don't move. Don't hesitate. Don't pull back. Don't go backwards. But the only way you're going to have to do this and be able to do this is by a supernatural revelation through the word and by the spirit. Get in the word, get the truth, solidify it, and end it. Because he's killing you slowly if you don't. And he's running you through the grinder slowly if you don't. This is the way it is. So let's stand to our feet. I told you, forgive me. It's going to get worse. But I'm not telling you what's coming up next, so. Fear is not in our mindset or in our vocabulary. Don't do it. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's not in our mindset. We have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to be fearful of. Absolutely. Worry is prophetic. You are prophesying something that hadn't yet happened. Through anxiety, through worry, through fear. You're, you're, you are, you are proclaiming, you are a, pro, a procrastinator, not a procrastinator, a pronosticator. If you have anxieties and fear, because you're assuming the worst that have not took place, have faith in God and understand that he's faithful. If you have, if you struggle in that area, you haven't solidified that yet. If you're watching online, I'm telling you, it's this when you I never find Jesus being anxious or fearful. Why? Because what does he always say? Me and the Father are one. What does he always say? I only see what the Father does. I only do what the Father, what the Father says. And what he does, I do. It was solidified for him. So there was no question. So first I'm going to pray, then repeat with me. Father, I thank you, first of all for your word that we can all embrace. Lord, that all of us may have areas. We haven't all got it all together yet. But Lord, I thank you that your word is true, reliable, and very straightforward. Father, that by your word, you direct us, you lead us, 
You father us by your word. And we trust you. So, Father, we thank you for the fact that we will not live in unbelief. We reject it now. In any area of our life, we call it forward, we bring it to, and we stick the knife of the word through it to kill it. Areas of unbelief in our marriage, in our finances, in our health, with our emotions, with our future, with our children, right now, whatever that is, we bring it to you to die. We kill it now. We reject that now. And by faith, right now, we receive and have faith in you. Your word is true. In Jesus' name, amen. In the name of Jesus, I believe his word. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by the word. When the word comes, I believe it, so I do it. This is the process. This is how I live. This is how I will always live. I, I will live in obedience, not disobedience. I will no longer be wavering. I make up my mind. When I give my word, I will keep my word. Because God, his word, he keeps and he is willing for me to keep mine. My words will line up with his. His words will line up with mine. This is how I will live. This is how I will speak. This is how I will parent. This is how I will live out relationships. This is how I will live out my life. By his word. Through his word. Obedient to his word. Knowing that the spirit is present in me. Through me. Leading me. Guiding me. Loving me. Encouraging me. Strengthening me. Bringing truth. Bringing conviction. Leading me. Always to him. He's always doing this. And I can trust him. In the name of Jesus. It is so. Amen. Amen. If you need ministry, let us know. Thank you, guys. Amen. Be blessed.